Salutations, friend, and welcome to The Profit Scale. This is the podcast for service-based coaches, consultants, and creatives looking to stop living paycheck to paycheck, pay themselves more, and scale their business beyond the six-figure plateau, all without the overwhelm of 60-plus hour work weeks. I'm your host and income strategist, RJ Connell. And if you're looking to collect more coins, stop dropping coins, or grow your business sustainably, then you, my friend, are in the right place. Turn up the volume and lean in because we're about to get started. Salutations friend, RJ Connell here, and today's conversation is a good one. Today we're talking about what to do when you're faced with rejection, and we've all been there at one point or another. Whether you've heard the infamous words from your potential clients, I can't afford you, or you've pitched yourself for a proposal or a speaking engagement to a company and they've gone with someone else. Rejection is a part of the entrepreneurial journey, and although you can't escape it, you can learn more about what leads to a rejection so that you can start to improve your chances of getting a yes every single time. And that, my friend, is what we're going to talk about today. As usual, I put together a worksheet for you to help you put today's discussion into action. So go ahead and download the worksheet using the link in the show notes, or you can head over to rjconnell.ca forward slash eight to access the download there. Let's dive in. So rejection, it's not fun. We all know this. And yet it's a very real and very common and very normal part of life and business. If you've already achieved some level of success in your business, that means you've likely had to face rejection time and time again to get where you are today. So what is it about hearing the word no that's so hard for us to face? Is it the embarrassment that it makes you feel when people say no to you? Does it cause you to question whether you or whether what you're offering was good enough to begin with? Well, I believe it's a little bit of both. And I also believe that we as entrepreneurs can end up playing small because of the fear of rejection. If you're currently thinking to yourself, I don't have that problem, you might be right. But just in case, I want you to think about the scenarios I'm going to lay out for you and just take a couple seconds to think about whether any of them apply to you. Now, just to clarify, when I say you, I'm actually speaking to you as the CEO of the business and the representative of your company, not you as the individual per se, but you as a business person. So scenario number one, you might fear rejection if you don't pitch for opportunities that showcase your expertise in a bigger way. That could mean pitching to be the keynote speaker at a conference. It could mean pitching for media opportunities with your local news networks or radio stations, It could even mean you're avoiding pitching your business to receive an award or an accolade out of fear that you might not be chosen for it. You might have thoughts like, one day I'll speak at the Social Media Marketing World Conference. And yet, whenever they open up applications for speakers, you don't actually apply. Or maybe you've watched a new segment or listened to a radio show where there was an expert being featured and you thought to yourself, I can probably do a better job than this person. And yet you made no effort to actually be on that radio show or TV show. Maybe you're holding back from pitching a partnership that would be perfect for you, your business and your clientele because of the fear of rejection. These are some red flags that fear of rejection is keeping you playing small. So I want you to think about this for a minute to see if any of these statements apply to you right now. Scenario number two, you avoid working with clients you know you can serve, but you feel are out of your league. This one is a little bit more subtle. It doesn't always show up obviously in your business, but when it does, this is what it looks like. 
Let's say you're a copywriter and you're on the email list of a really well-known business coach. You started following this person because you like what they do and you're actually looking for business tips that you can apply for your own business with where you are right now. But every week you get their emails and you realize that there are typos in their emails and that their language isn't consistent and that they're always apologizing in their emails for sending out their newsletter late. You, being the expert copywriter that you are, take note of these things and think to yourself, well, she must have someone on her team that points out these spelling mistakes to her. Or maybe you're thinking, if she could just pick out a couple key pieces of terminology, she can keep her brand voice consistent. And I wonder if she's thought about using a content calendar to pre-plan her emails. Well, every week, the emails end up in your inbox, and every week you think about all the ways that you could help them solve this problem. And yet you never actually offer your solution directly to the person that you can help. Friend, what is stopping you from reaching out and saying, I can solve this problem for you? Are there current opportunities where you've identified a problem that you could help someone solve, but because of their experience or notoriety, or because they're quote unquote more successful than you, you don't put yourself out there? Friend, cut the crap, get it together. You are not only leaving coins on the table, you are intentionally withholding a solution that could change someone's life or business. You're allowing your own fears, your own personal struggles to prevent you from doing the exact thing that you started this business to do, which is to serve the people that need you. Now, don't get me wrong. There are definitely levels to this. And while it's very possible that there are some opportunities that you just aren't ready for, that's probably the minority. There are plenty of opportunities that you could take advantage of with the level of success you're at now, but you're willingly not pursuing them. So let's talk about that for a second. If you're currently comfortable solely maintaining your current level of success and you're not striving to exceed it, then a fear of rejection might be at play here. And I'm going to help you start to remove that fear as an obstacle to you showing up at your highest level and claiming the opportunities for your business that are waiting for you. When it comes to the reasons why someone says no to your services or working with you as a whole, I believe that each reason can be boiled down into one of three categories, and I'm going to go through each of those categories with you now. If you haven't yet downloaded the worksheet, now's the time to hit the link in the show notes to access it, or again, head to rjconnell.ca forward slash eight and download your worksheet. It's really going to help you put what we discussed into action and make it a lot easier to follow along as well. So make sure you have it ready to go. So when it comes to the reasons why people say no, category number one is a timing rejection. That means the reason they said no is because it's not the right timing for them. When you're dealing with a potential client, sometimes hearing them say it's not the right time can just be an excuse. But there are situations when timing is in fact the problem. When you're dealing with a potential client, the best way to address this category is to outline when is the best time to work with you. You want to help them understand under what circumstances would this be considered an ideal time to purchase your service or to enroll in your program. That also means that for you as the expert, you have to understand when it's the wrong time for someone to work with you and be willing to outline that as well. Tangibly, this means asking qualifying questions during your sales calls or implementing qualifying systems on your website or webinars or in your emails to make sure that the timing doesn't become an objection for your potential clients. If you have the worksheet in front of you, you can see that I've outlined some examples for you with how you can start to implement this. 
So feel free to use those examples as a starting point and tailor them for your unique business. Another area where timing comes into play is when you're pitching for opportunities. When you're pitching for things like speaking engagements, media opportunities, and corporate contracts, there might be pre-established deadlines that you need to meet in order to be considered. In some cases, the time of the year also plays a factor. For example, print and broadcast media tend to follow a seasonal calendar where certain topics are more favorable during certain times of the year. Sharing your expertise on budgeting, for example, could work a lot better around Christmas time when more people are spending lots of money, as opposed to pitching that same story in May. The best way to reduce the opportunity for a no in these cases and to increase your opportunity for a yes is to do your research. Find out what the deadlines are that you have to work within and meet them. Find out when the best timing would be for you to make a pitch for a particular opportunity and then prepare for it, even if it means waiting a few weeks or months. Category number two for why people say no is an alignment objection. This is a type of rejection that happens when there's a disconnect between what you're offering and what your potential client needs. So either there isn't an alignment in your service, meaning that the solution you're offering is not actually the solution that they need, or the method in which you're delivering your solution it doesn't align with them. For example, when there's a misalignment between the problem and the solution, it comes across to the client as though you don't understand what their challenge is and you're just trying to sell them for the sake of making money. And even though your heart is in the right place, it might be true that what you're offering isn't exactly what they need. This is where creating those clarifying strategies as to who is a good fit for your program or your service is going to make a big difference. When your service aligns as a solution to your client's problems, not only is your client satisfaction rate higher, you're also more likely to keep your existing clients, get word of mouth recommendations, and have a lower churn rate, while you're also less likely to get refund requests and you're more likely to have a lower attrition rate in your business as well. Another area where misalignment can occur is in your delivery, and sometimes that means you as the person. We all have had situations where we meet people that we didn't end up liking, and we don't always have a particular or specific reason as to why we don't vibe with them. There just might be something about them that rubs us the wrong way or that we're just not drawn to. And this same experience can happen with your potential clients. Sometimes it's not even about the service you offer. Sometimes a potential client might not vibe with your personality or your methodology, and that's okay. Your personality, your methodology, and your business are not for everyone. And you have to be okay, even happy, to say no or receive a no from the people that you're not meant to serve. Getting a no or a rejection from someone who would not have been a good fit to work with you is not a bad thing. In fact, it's actually a good thing. It's so important to make sure that the people you take on as clients are aligned with the ideal client that you want to serve. That doesn't mean that there won't be any challenges when you're working together. It just means that you're both confident that you as the expert not only have the right solution for their problem, but that you also are the right person to deliver it and in the right way. What you can do to help you lower your chances of running into this category of rejection is to ask clarifying questions that help you make sure there's alignment between your product, your service, and your clientele. You have to first identify what alignment means for you. Who are the clientele that would make ideal clients for you? And what are some of the deal breakers that would make even you reject working with a client? 
Once you're clear on what those alignment factors are, you can better communicate them and look out for them. And finally, category number three is a conviction rejection. And this is arguably the most common one of all. Conviction rejections are when someone says no to you or your service because you haven't done an adequate job of convincing them that you're the right person for the job. When you get a conviction rejection, it's likely because you're not being strategic in the way you're selling yourself or you're using the wrong strategy. There are usually three ways this shows up. Number one, you are passively selling yourself, meaning that you're doing the minimum amount of work required to land a client or opportunity. That means you do the webinar and put up the sales page and direct people to it. And on your sales page, you've listed out what you're capable of doing and you just put it out there for anybody who's interested. But you don't actively engage and communicate with them all the way to the point of the sale. Or maybe you fill out the application for a specific opportunity and then you wait to be chosen rather than actively ensuring that you stand out amongst your competitors. Passive selling assumes the premise that people should want to work with you and that all you have to do is show up and nothing else. Well, that's not how it works. Even as your business becomes more successful and you get the opportunity to work with more notable clients, it's still your job to convey and convince the other person that they should choose you. Passive selling is a huge pet peeve of mine and I see it all the time, especially in physical stores nowadays. It's like there's little to no training on actual sales strategy and how to engage a customer towards a sale. And you yourself have probably experienced this before if you've walked into a bookstore or a grocery store or a clothing store and the person at the counter doesn't greet you. After five to 10 minutes in the store, they still haven't asked you if they can help you. And essentially, they're waiting on you to come to them in order to make a sale. They're not invested at all in whether or not you purchase. Speaking as a corporate sales trainer and as someone who has experience in customer service driven companies, this is not okay. I could literally go on a rant about passive selling. It irks my soul to the core, but I'm going to keep it together and maybe I'll save it for another podcast episode. But for now, I'll just say that the onus of the sale is on you as the expert and not the client. That means you have to be actively engaged in communicating the value of your transformation or the value of the results that you offer to the point where they feel confident enough that you are the best choice for the job. The second way that a lack of strategy might be showing up in your business is that you're selling your method instead of selling your solution. Since we know our fields of expertise so well, we as the experts get lost in describing the vehicle that we're going to use to get our clients to their destination instead of describing the destination itself. You deliver your service in a particular way because it yields a particular result for your clients, and that's what you have to focus on. What will change for them after having worked with you? What will be different, better, easier, less stressful because they've hired you and used your methodology? As simple as it sounds, take a look at your sales page and your website and even the description of your services that you have in your proposals or on your scheduling software and see if you're talking about your methodology more than your solutions. And finally, the third way that your strategy could be leading to a conviction rejection is that you're selling your accomplishments instead of selling your expertise. This means that you are leading with, and in some cases, coasting on your past success as the primary reason that you should be chosen for this particular opportunity or to work with this particular client. 
While it's an effective strategy to showcase the work and results that you've gotten in the past, if you're leading with that as your primary reason why a client should choose to work with you or that a conference should choose to book you as their speaker, then you've completely missed the point. When you're pitching for clients or corporate opportunities or speaking engagement or even media exposure, it's not always enough for them to know what you've done for someone else. You still have to engage in the process of letting them know what you can do for them. Your past accomplishments should be evident of your expertise. It shouldn't be your entire pitch or your entire sales method. So if this is your current method for acquiring clients and you find yourself on the receiving end of conviction rejections, then you have to switch up your method by clarifying what you offer to that unique individual and using your past experience as evidence that you can deliver on your promise to them. If you take time to consider each one of these categories of rejection, I'm confident that you can find at least a one degree of improvement that you can make in each area to start turning those no's into yeses. So let's recap our discussion today. We first talked about the fact that rejection is a normal part of doing business and that it's actually necessary to face rejection and to move past it as we seek out more success for our business. I gave you two scenarios to help you identify if a fear of rejection might be holding you back from showing up at your highest level and keeping you playing small. And as a result, keeping your coin flow at a fraction of what it could be. From there, we discussed three different categories of rejection to help you identify the root cause of the no's that you might be hearing, and also to help you decrease the likelihood of a no and increase the likelihood that you'll get a yes. The three different categories of rejection can be found in the downloadable worksheet for this episode using the link in the show notes, or you can head over to rjconnell.ca forward slash eight to get the worksheet there. The end result of applying these strategies to your business is an increase in the number of clients that want to work with you and ultimately an increase in your coin flow. So let's say that you've applied today's strategies and you find yourself getting more and more yeses on the opportunities that you're pitching for. You're now at a place where you know you can afford to raise your prices, but you don't want to lose the clients that you've just put all this work into getting. Well, we're going to talk all about that in next week's episode. If you've ever considered raising your prices, or if you're in the process of doing that right now, or maybe you're planning to level up your pricing in the near future, next week's episode is for you. We're going to be talking all about how to roll out a price increase without losing your existing clients. And friend, It's a good one as usual. There are some ninja strategies in next week's episode that you're going to want to make sure you're here for. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you listen. As always, friend, I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So join the conversation happening on our Instagram page at RJ Connell Consulting and jump into the poll or into the comments on the post with your thoughts on today's conversation. I can't wait to chat with you same time and same place next week. And until then, I wish you coins, confidence, and all the bags. Bye for now.